0: Good evening. Tonight is Thursday night, December 31st, 2020. It is a great pleasure for me to welcome all of you to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. I am so grateful to every one of you for joining tonight. We're able to take this night and to be connected with each other, to study together, hopefully to inspire each other. I can tell you, I am definitely inspired by you. I hope I can share a little bit of that with you, but I'm very grateful to have you with us this evening. The Rav, Rabbi Yosef pointed out that the narrative of the Book of Bereshis, the first of the five books of the Torah, is completed in last week's Parsha, the Parsha Vayigash, at the end of which Yaakov and his family are in Egypt, which sets the stage for next week's Parsha, which begins the Book of Shemos, the second Book of the Torah, which tells of the persecution in Egypt and the exodus from Egypt. Our Parsha this week, the Parsha Vayichi, is an interruption in that narrative and it's an interruption that focuses on the death of Yaakov because death and preparing for death is an important part of life. And the Torah has a lot to say about it, so our parsha is filled with lessons about an uncomfortable subject for many of us but lessons that are in fact uplifting and life-affirming. The first lesson we learn from Yaakov at the beginning of the Parsha is to make plans and arrangements in advance and to tell your children what your plans and arrangements are. The Torah specifically tells us that Yaakov does this with his children in advance of his becoming ill while he is still healthy. He makes these arrangements and shares them with his children and we should do the same. And the reason to do that is at least two reasons. One is it, it, it minimizes emotional turmoil and dissension at the time of a person's passing. And it allows a person to convey your values and priorities to your family while you are alive. Because these issues are really about life. They shouldn't wait Until life is over, they should be shared and appreciated and respected during life. Now, I strongly suggest making arrangements for medical decisions in the event you are not able to make those decisions when the time comes. I think. The best way to do this is with a medical proxy document where you appoint someone you trust to make decisions for you in the event that you are not able to make them yourself. And perhaps one of the most important parts of this set of instructions is what you will decide, what you will instruct, what you will want concerning donating your organs to save someone else's life. It's the highest mitzvah you can do. Now, the details of this are subject for another time. But whatever you decide, it is crucial that you tell your family clearly what you want. The next arrangement that you should make now is where you will be buried. There is a minhag, a custom within the Jewish people, that when a person reaches the age of 50, they should arrange and purchase the plots where they intend to be buried. Yes, of course, it's possible there could be a change later in life, but by the time a person gets to 50, the minhag is that a person should at least have a plan. Our parsha is the source of a practice that continues today. Yaakov instructs his family again while he is still healthy. He instructs his family to bury him in Israel. Yosef also, in our parsha, instructs his family to bury him in Israel. Throughout history, including today, many have made similar arrangements. But it's fascinating that there is no clear guidance in Jewish law or Jewish values on where a person should be buried. And in fact, there is a wide diversity of opinion on whether burial in Israel is a positive act or a neutral act or even perhaps a negative act. Other considerations about where a person will be buried may be to be buried alongside family members. Excuse me, another consideration is the expense. In general, Jewish law is in favor of simpler versus expensive burial options. In a desire for a person who is more wealthy not to show off their wealth in a way that would cause someone else to have their situation pale in comparison. Another element that would go into the decision, perhaps it's more of a sentimental element, is who will come to visit. And of course that's not something that you're going to be able to predict with any accuracy in advance. In general, I encourage burial in Israel unless there are mitigating factors that apply in your situation. However, it is most important to remember that this question of where I will be buried is a secondary priority, not a first priority because the body, our body, is buried as an act of respect for having served during our life as the clothing of our soul, our neshama. But it is the soul, it is the neshama, our spiritual being, our connection to God, that is our true identity. After we pass away, we are not located where we are buried. We are located with our neshama, which is eternal. So choosing and arranging for plots is important, but it does not classify who we are or where we will be. (laughs) Another crucial lesson Yaakov teaches us in our Parsha is to bless our children and grandchildren and to instruct our children and grandchildren. In our Parsha Vayechi Yaakov gives a bracha, a blessing to each of his children and as we will review when we learn and read the parsha of the Shabbos, the bracha to each child is different. It's individual. It's directed to that child and reflects their strengths, their character, their potential. And here, Yaakov is teaching all of us a very powerful lesson. And that is not just to give a general bracha. You should all be a mensch. You should all be good. Uh, all right, that's important. That's very important. But it's also necessary for parents to specify to each individual child what relates to that child. Simply understanding, Rav Shamsul Hirsch makes this point, simply understanding the uniqueness of each child is itself a blessing to that child. But what's critical is the pasuk, the verse, that introduces these blessings. Vayikra Yaakov Yakov Elbanov Yaakov called to his children, Vayomer, and he said to them, Hey, Asfu, gather together, v'agid and I will tell you, Esa sheyikra eschem b'achris hayomim, what your role will be in the future, what I hope for you in the future, gather together and I will tell you. Note this critical word, he usfu, gather. It is only by gathering, only by coming together, each with your own individual, unique strengths and character, Still, only with He asfu, only by gathering can each of you receive your own unique, individual blessing. So, let me share with you, very briefly, two layers to the significance of this word, He asfu, this gathering. It might seem intuitive, to give each child their bracha in private. Each child is spoken to alone in private and told what relates to that child and the next one to that child. That might seem reasonable. It may be intuitive to us. But Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky points out that that is specifically not what Yaakov does. Yaakov starts with, Hey Asfu, gather together. They are all present. And in front of everyone, Yaakov addresses each one uniquely and individually. And the message is very, very important. The message is to each of his children, every one of you is different. You will each grow up to different destinies. Yaakov's twelve children would each grow to form, to create separate tribes of the Jewish people with their own boundaries. But Yaakov says to them, Each of you, as different as you are from each other, you have to know not only your own strength and weakness, you also have to know the strengths and weaknesses of every one of your siblings. Because only then can you know how you can help each one of them. And only then can you know to whom you could go when you need help. Therefore, Yaakov says, Hey Osfu, instead of speaking to each of them privately, gather together because you all need to hear what is unique about this one and unique about this one, the strength of this one, the weakness of that one. You all need to hear that because that will help create. That will help Yaakov leave behind. A more unified, cohesive family, notwithstanding their diversity. Their diversity rather becomes their strength because each one can rely on another for a specific area of strength because they each know their strengths and their weaknesses. They each know which one of us does this the best which one of us does that the best and therefore the fact that we are diverse means we have more capabilities among all of us and therefore more ability to help each other and to remain connected the second layer of significance of this word he asvu gather together is expressed in a story I have told my children, and I encourage you to tell this story to your children and to your grandchildren. The story is about an old man who gathered his children together. And he handed them a bunch of sticks tied tightly together, a thick bunch. And the father said to each of the children, from the oldest to the youngest, I want you to break the sticks. Well, the sticks were all tied together, forming a thick bunch. None of the children, not even the strongest, was able to break them. Then the father said, now untie the string, and each of you take one stick. And now I want you to break the stick. And, of course, each child was able to easily break the stick. Any single stick, like any single sibling, can be easily broken. But when the sticks or a family are all bound together as one, they are unbreakable. Hey, Asvu, Yaakov says to his children, gather together because each one of you could break, but if you stand together you will be invincible you will be unbreakable. That's an incredible lesson in how to live life that Yaakov teaches his children and a lesson we should try to share with our children and our grandchildren as well. In our Parsha, Yaakov teaches us the importance of sharing with our family instructions and lessons, some of which I've described, but also values by which to live life. So I'd like to share with you an approach to understanding an inscrutable passage near the beginning of our Parsha. Now, what I want to share with you is inspired by Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein. He doesn't actually say this, but the idea came to me while I was reading something that he wrote. So maybe it somehow comes from him or maybe it doesn't. It's somewhere in between. But there is a passage at the beginning of our parsha that seems so difficult to understand. The Torah tells us that Yaakov was old, and Yosef came and brought his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to visit their grandfather. And Yaakov kissed them and he hugged them. And then Yaakov wanted to give a blessing to these two grandchildren, Manasha and Ephraim. So the Torah tells us that Yosef, their father, took the two boys. He placed Ephraim to his right, Yaakov's left, and Menasheh to his left, Yaakov's right. Manasha was the firstborn. So, Manasha was placed in the position of honor in front of Yaakov's right hand. Ephraim was younger. He was placed in the secondary position in front of Yaakov's left hand. At that moment, Yaakov crossed his hands so that his left, weaker hand was on the head of Manasha the firstborn, but his right, stronger hand was over the head of Ephraim, the younger son. The Torah says when Yosef saw that Yaakov had switched his hands, He tried to protest to tell his father, no, Menashe is the firstborn. He is in the position of honor. Your right hand should be on his head. But Yaakov said to Yosef, I know, my son, I know. I know what I'm doing. And on that day, on that day, Yaakov blessed them, and he said, In the future, the Jewish people, parents, will give this blessing to their sons. There's another blessing for daughters, but this is the blessing about sons. Yesimcha elakim May God make you like Ephraim and Menasheh. V'yosem es Ephraim lifnei Menasheh. And we will mention Ephraim's name, the younger son, before we mention the name of Menasheh, the older son. That's our minhag, our practice of giving our children a blessing. Many of us have that custom on Friday night to bless our children. That's the narrative. And it is so hard to understand because Yaakov, 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 you suffered so much from jealousy between brothers. You suffered with preferential treatment to you over your older brother Esauv. You, Yaakov, had a hand, a hand in causing the dissension between Yosef and his brothers. Your favoritism with that coat of many colors that you gave Yosef. You showed favoritism to one child and created enmity and jealousy. If anyone should know to avoid, Choosing a younger over an older and the way in which it can lead to terrible, terrible dissension, it should be Yaakov. How could Yaakov do it again at the end of his life? How could he switch his hands and show this preference, this honor for the younger child over the over over the older child, you know? Every time I read this parsha, I, I wanna scream out, Yaakov, Yaakov, don't do it! Haven't you learned your lesson? It happened so many times already. How could you do it again? Furthermore, just to add to the question, what's the deal with crossing the hands? I mean, if there is some idea that Yaakov's right side, is, has greater honor than Yaakov's left side and, and Yaakov wants to show greater honor indicated by his right arm, why switch the arms? Switch the boys! Tell Ephraim, stand on this side, and Menashe, you stand on this side. <laughs> if Yosef is going to object, Yosef is going to object. But if Yaakov wants Ephraim in the place of honor, put him in the place of honor. What's with the switching the hands? So the answer I'd like to suggest to you is based on the fact that at this point we don't know anything about these two boys except their names. And their names are very interesting. We learned their names two weeks ago in the parsha of Miketz when they were born to Yosef and his wife. Yosef named his son Ephraim Ki Hifrani Elohim Be'eretz because God caused me to be fruitful in the land of my oppression. The name Ephraim. Now, with that name, Yosef expresses, I'm in Mitzrayim, I'm in Egypt. I've been suffering. I've been in exile. I've been lonely, I've been mistreated, but still, but still, I have been fruitful. I've been productive. I have accomplished. And yet, notwithstanding what I have accomplished, Mitzrayim is not where I want to be. Mitzrayim is still a land of oppression. I want to be at home. I want to be with my father. I want to be with my family. That's the idea that is conveyed by the name Ephraim. I want to be with my family. Menashe, Yosef named his son Menashe. Ki God has helped me forget all of my hardship, the called base ovi, and God helped me forget my father's house. We discussed this verse last week. The two names express opposite themes, opposite moods, opposite perspectives. And even more interesting than that is the order because I intentionally read them out of order. The first son is Menashe. The first son gets the name Menashe, which is, I want to forget my father's house. I want to be detached. I want to be separate. I want nothing to do with my father's house. The second son, Ephraim, is when Yosef expresses, I want to be reattached. I want to reconnect. I want to go back to my father, to my family, to my home. At the end of Yaakov's life, in our Parsha, Yaakov teaches his son Yosef one last lesson. Yaakov does not repeat the mistakes he made in the past. Notice, he does not give the birthright to Ephraim rather than Menasheh, like the birthright was taken away from Esau and given to Yaakov. Yaakov does not show any favoritism to Ephraim, the younger child, over Manasha the older child. Yaakov does not offer a larger inheritance to Ephraim the younger over Manasha the older. Yaakov does nothing to cause jealousy between those two brothers or favoritism as had happened with Yosef and his brothers. Yaakov does not repeat any of those mistakes. Menashe, notice, stays on Yaakov's right side, the place of honor for the firstborn. That's why Yaakov does not move the boys, because Menashe belongs on Yaakov's right side. He is the firstborn. But there is a choosing of the message of the names when Yaakov crosses his right hand and passes over Menashe and places his right hand on Ephraim. And the lesson is not about the boys. The lesson is about the reason for the names the lesson to Yosef is don't do that don't retain the name Menashe not the name the meaning of the name Menashe don't retain that desire to disconnect that is implied by the name Menashe don't retain that desire to forget that is implied by the name Menashe. Choose Ephraim. Choose what the name Ephraim means to you. That you remember that while you're in Egypt, you are in Gullus, you're in exile. You are distant. And you always want to come back. You want to connect. You want to come home. That's the message of the name of Ephraim. I've shared this with you before. Yaakov is the patriarch of exile. His wrestling through the night foreshadows the difficulties we encounter during our long night of exile and dispersal. Yaakov talks to us today more directly than Yitzchak or Avraham and his last words to us are as parents addressing our children and our grandchildren today. Don't choose the message of the name of Menashe. Again I want to be very clear, there are many fine people that have the name Menashe, beautiful, wonderful people. I'm not referring to anyone. By that name, I'm referring to the message of the name that Yosef supplies when he gives it. Don't choose the message of the name of Menashe. Choose the message of the name of Ephraim. It is the only way the Jewish people will endure. Parents today face tremendous challenges in raising their children and grandparents with their grandchildren. Battles over. Neshani kol avi. I want to forget everything about my father's house. Versus be'eretz anyi. I see myself here in exile and I want to get back to my family. I want to get back to my home. Those battles are constant and they come up in many different forms. Do we choose for our children Jewish school or secular school? Do we choose hockey and skiing on Saturday morning or Shabbos and Shul? Do we encourage our children to dress and speak like what they see on TV and in movies? Or in accordance with the principles of modesty and respect? What do we have to say to our children when they start dating? Many parents are more and more reluctant to give clear guidance. Yaakov teaches us that we must put our hand down firmly on the head of Ephraim. Now, it seems to me Yosef named his children in this order to express how he processed what happened to him in his life and we discussed this last week. As Yosef went through the trauma of what his brothers did to him, selling him into slavery and then imprisonment, he wanted to forget. He wanted to be disconnected from that family that had hurt him so badly. Later, As Yosef gained the perspective of how everything that happened to him actually happened for a reason that led to a conclusion, he had a different perspective. And at that point, he wanted to reconnect. He saw everything that it had helped him accomplish. From this new perspective, he saw that all of those difficult steps were actually leading him to tremendous success. And it is this progression Yaakov in our Parsha wants to ratify and emphasize for Yosef for a deeper reason. And that leads me to the final lesson that our Parsha offers. When we, God forbid, suffer a loss, someone we love passes away, God forbid, we work toward, we hope for, we pray for, consolation. Comfort. Nechama. When we visit a mourner, we attempt to be menachem avel, to console the mourner. We say to a mourner, hamakom yenachem, may God console you. (coughs) What does that mean? How do we accomplish that? A number of great scholars have pointed out the first, wor- the first time that word Nechama is used in the Torah, it's at the end of the Parsha of Bereshis and it's used in reference to God, changing his view, changing his perspective. When someone we love passes away, there are two conflicting moods or points of view there is the mood of sadness and loss and loneliness without that person and hurt at how they suffered and there is the mood the perspective the point of view of joy of having that person in our life. Gratitude for all they did for us. Blessing of all the wonderful memories that we have. Now, those two opposite moods, perspectives, they compete with each other. And they will be present within each person differently at different times often initially we are overwhelmed with just the grief and it will seem to us while we are overwhelmed with that grief that it is the only mood that is possible it is the only perspective we will ever have it will never change that's how we feel Normally, and what we hope for, what we mean by Nahama, consolation, is that gradually, over time, gradually, the balance of our perspective will shift from all sadness to at least a mixture of the sad and the positive. The sadness will never go away. This does not mean that the sadness will ever leave completely. It will not. It will never leave. But, under normal circumstances, with time, It will be balanced with, hopefully, eventually, a preponderance of good memories and gratitude. And this is a dynamic process. The balance will go back and forth. There will be progress and setbacks. And every one of us will move at our own pace. And it's not a straight line. It's a zigzag it's a balance nechama consolation is that gradual shift in outlook that shift in perspective is the process Yosef went through and it's the process Yaakov encourages And it is the process we teach our children to adopt every time we bless them and put Ephraim before Menashe, Because this process does not only occur with death, it is a process that occurs with every loss, every setback so this is a valuable lesson for ourselves and for our children throughout our lives i just read a remarkable article in the new york times written by lindsay kraus and it's about a woman named sarah hall sarah hall is a 37 year old elite marathon runner. She's also the mother of four. Just a few months ago, Sarah Hall seemed to be facing her own version of pandemic misery. She had failed to qualify for the Olympics. Now everything was canceled. She was 37, an age when many elite athletes' careers start winding down. When would she get another chance to prove herself? As it turned out, she created one. On Sunday, it's last week, at an elite race in Arizona in, in Arizona called the Marathon Project, Mary Hall, I'm sorry, Sarah Hall, ran the second fastest marathon ever for an American woman. It was more than just a hard-fought victory. This year, she has become a powerful example of how resilience, built from pushing through years, even decades of setbacks, can reap unexpected rewards. Because the year 2020 is perfect for people who have learned how to be scrappy, Sarah Hall said in an interview last week, my whole career has been learning how to say, okay, I just missed out on what I wanted so badly, what opportunities do I still have? In the pandemic, it was the same. I had to think, I know what I can't do, but what is still on the table? it wound up leading to some of the best training in my life. In a very short while, tonight, 2020, comes to an end. Many of us have a Menasha feeling to this past year let's forget it as quickly as possible preferably with the aid of some alcohol and that's understandable that's normal to feel that way but Yaakov teaches us and Yosef teaches us and Sarah Hall teaches us we would be better served by working on an Ephraim perspective on the year 2020. If not tonight, maybe it's too soon. But then at least gradually, eventually, to be able to balance some of the pain and loss of this year, and I don't mean to minimize deep tragic, traumatic pain and loss this year, but eventually, gradually, be able to balance that with what opportunities and gifts did we have this year? What strengths and benefits have we found or have we created this year? an Ephraim perspective over time gradually but that's the process of Nechama that's the process of growth that's the process Yaakov is teaching us and it could end up eventually gradually as our perspective shifts that the year 2020 will be one of our most significant years ever. My friends, I wish it for you and I wish it for me. Thank you so much for being together with us tonight. I wish you a great evening, a wonderful Shabbos, and I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.